A few weeks ago, our world changed directions, depending on your perspective. The summer solstice was at 2.43 Pacific Standard Time on June 20th. The world shifted, so to speak, imperceptible to us. In fact, you would have had to see it from above and beyond that moment in order to perceive it. We only notice as the weeks and the months go on, as is often the case with change. Many months ago, our world changed. It's hard to pinpoint the moment, but now as the weeks have worn on into months, there's no denying it. So we've been looking intently for perspective, a view from above, so to speak, beyond our current circumstances. What is God's vantage point? What is he seeing? And what is he saying to us? From our perspective, everything perhaps has changed. From God's, not much at all. A global pandemic is unprecedented in our lifetime, yet not uncommon across history. A view from above and beyond would know this to be true. So we've been studying a 2,600-year-old letter written by the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah heard God's voice and made it known. That's the simplest definition of prophecy that I know. Hearing from God and making it known. And by that definition, we all should strive to be prophets. What is God saying? Will we listen and respond? Will we make his word known? Our world has had a few recent turning points. Well, this last week, this message series took a turn. I hope a refreshing one, a needed one. Up until then, it had been a whole lot of bad news and harsh times, which was part of the reason I was drawn into Zephaniah. We've become accustomed to bad news and harsh times, sadly. So it's relevant. God's warning and judgment against our complacency and idolatry. Now, if this is your first time tuning in with us in this series, we are building upon previous themes. I encourage you to listen back through. Perhaps I can sum it up like this. The situation is worse than we previously thought, but God's grace is greater than we could possibly imagine. Perhaps that would summarize the entire story. Zephaniah holds nothing back. Harsh words. God is angry against sin and evil and will bring justice. That will be his judgment because he is the perfect righteous judge. At the same time, our God will pour out his mercy. He will heal, restore, save. He does both, and in both is his glory revealed. This morning, we'll consider that great theme. After today, just two more weeks in Zephaniah. Restoration and celebration. Yes, we have taken a turn. Glory is a massive concept in the Bible because it describes God himself. It is both who he is and therefore what he does. His very presence is synonymous with glory. It's described this way at the time just following Israel's exodus from Egypt. This is Exodus 24, verses 16 and 17. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire 
on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people Israel. When Moses came down from that mountain after being in God's presence, his face literally radiated, reflecting the glory of the Lord. He put a veil on it so the people wouldn't be so terrified. That serves as a lasting picture of what God desires for all of his people, that we would dwell with him, be in his presence, reflect him, represent him in all that we do and say. Jesus would pray this in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 22 and following. The glory that you have given me, he's speaking to his father, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they might become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved them. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What a prayer. The glory of God is synonymous with his presence his character, his being. Therefore, everything that God does is also glorious. It reveals his glory from creation to recreation. Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Anytime God acts, it is glorious. He can do no other. Therefore, both his judgment and his mercy are his glory. His glory was like a devouring fire, and yet it made Moses radiate. When God responds to his people or provides for them, it is his glory. Just prior to his glory manifesting itself upon the mountain, it manifested this way, Exodus 16, verse 6 and following. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, that would be the glory of God, his provision, manna from heaven, we may not always perceive the glory of God or be aware of his presence as Israel was when he dwelt with them in the cloud and the fire. But all of God's creation speaks to his glory. It pours out speech, as does his provision and his benevolence. There should be a deep longing within us to know the full glory of God, his presence with us. Moses was drawn into his presence on the mountain Yet he longed to perceive him even more, to know of his glory, Exodus 33. God has placed this desire within us. We are made in his image, made to dwell in his glory, yet that has been broken. The nearer we draw to his presence, the more we long for his kingdom to come, his will to be done, for righteousness, holiness, justice, for all that is broken to be restored, all that is evil cleansed, all suffering, healed. A.W. Tozer puts it this way in The Pursuit of God. God wills that we should push into his presence and then live our whole life there. 
and it is a life to be enjoyed every moment of every day. God waits to show himself in ravishing fullness to the humble of soul and pure of heart. It's this longing that the prophets would stir in us, both the ancient and the modern, all who hear from God and make him known. Zephaniah 2, verse 3, we've read this a number of times. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who would do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Prophets proclaim the twofold judgment of God, as we saw last week. God will pour out his wrath against all evil and all injustice and those who arrogantly defy him, which catches us all. And he will heal, save, deliver, restore. Zephaniah 3, 5. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. Zephaniah is describing the glory of God, who he is, synonymous with what he does. God's glory is like the morning dawn that drives away the darkness. What a contrast his glory is against the darkness and vileness of evil, oppression, racism, virus, sickness, death. One day God's glory will be complete because he will once again dwell with his people in fullness. The prophet Habakkuk prophesied not too long after Zephaniah. It's likely even that they knew each other. And he proclaimed it this way, Habakkuk 2, 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Chew on that phrase for a bit. Written poetically, as Zephaniah writes, one day the knowledge, our awareness of the glory of Yahweh, our Lord, will be pervasive. As the waters cover the sea, there's no place it will not fill. It was like this at the beginning. God created the perfect garden and dwelt in it with his creation. God declares that he will restore the heavens and the earth to their rightful state with him dwelling in his fullness. He hasn't changed his mind. Our king of glory will be in our midst and we will gather around his throne and ascribe glory to him. This is how the whole book ends in John's Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Zephaniah speaks of this day in the prophetic perfect tense, as if it is already done. And from God's perspective, the view from above and beyond, it is he calls it a coming day of the Lord, not literally one day, but an age or an era. For us, it will be eternity. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. Zephaniah 3, 14 through 17. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Zephaniah urges us to respond and live according to this reality, as if it is done, and that is God's perspective. 
Zephaniah looked back to the time when God dwelt with Israel in the cloud and in the tabernacle and later the temple, which gave him hope for this coming promise. We have even more confidence for our faith because we can look back to when God dwelt with his people in the flesh. This is John again, this time in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt literally is tabernacled, a strange word, but to remind us of the glory of God descending and filling up a space, in this case, a tent in the desert when Israel was in the wilderness. Jesus came, God's glory descending to earth again and filling a man, a person, and later through the power of the Spirit, God's new tabernacle, his new temple, his people, his church. I want to read from Eugene Peterson's The Message. I don't do it often, but it is a helpful tool at times, and I love his passion to describe it in this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. All who look to Jesus and behold him will behold the glory of God. He is the king of Israel that Zephaniah speaks of, the king of glory. He has come and he will come again. He is the answer to the psalmist David's refrain in the famous Psalm 24, 7 and following. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory, Selah. David could only imagine in a prophetic sense the coming of the king of glory. We now know he is Jesus. He has come and will come again. We are barely scratching the surface of this massive theme. But when God is fully known, when he is fully present, unveiled with his people, his glory will be known. And we await and long for that day. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, For now we see like in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. So what is our confidence? The King of glory has come. We take him at his word that he is coming again. Our God has made known his plan and his purposes from the beginning. It's who he has always been. It's what he has always done. And it's what he has promised to do. That's the perspective we need, especially when we get stuck in this myopic view of our own lives and place in history. We need the prophets like Zephaniah to lift us above the haze of our current circumstances, whether they be pain or suffering, loss and grieving fear and anxiety, to lift us above our cultural moment of pandemic and disease, division and discord, to draw us into the presence and glory of God, that we might thirst 
even more for him. And the greatest prophet of all does more than lift our eyes and draw us into God's presence. He makes it possible for us to come and not be consumed, to come in confidence into the presence of God. This is now the prophet Isaiah prophesying. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. But he, this coming one, was pierced for our transgressions, was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2.24 describes it this way. Jesus Christ himself has borne our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Come to him if you never have. Return to him if you have been wandering or drifting, our King of glory, ready to fill us with life and to fill us with his light. For a world living in darkness, God's people are meant to dwell in his presence, increasingly so, and to reflect his glory, to radiate as Moses did, because we pushed into his presence. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 14 and following. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it upon a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What will that radiant light look like? What will it be? Many things, but let me highlight three quickly. A peace that transcends understanding. A hope that knows no fear. A joy that is contagious. Is our world not desperate for these? Devoid of them recently. Peace, hope, joy. And these are ours in Christ. For all who turn to him and bow before him. They can never be shaken or taken. Now remember the context of Jesus' declaration that we are the light of the world. This calling comes right on the heels of him saying, blessed are you when you mourn, when you hunger and thirst, even when you are persecuted. That's the bleak backdrop for our light to shine and the world will take notice for the light shines most brightly in the darkness. Our world may be full of moths and cockroaches, which are you? And are those the only two options? Yes, at least for this metaphor. Some will be drawn in, we pray many, by the light of who Jesus is, while some will scurry away because people have always loved darkness rather than light. Harsh words in keeping with the prophets. But be sure of this, our God, the King of glory, has transformative power. If he can turn worms with legs into a moth, with wings, through metamorphosis, why not a cockroach unto his glory? Is not his transformative power at work in us? It has been, it, it will be. He is not done. Romans 12, verse 1, Apostle Paul. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Literally, be metamorphosized by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are living in a time where we need awareness of God's presence with us more than ever. He's not in a cloud up on a mountain somewhere, a mountain we could never climb. He's not in a building in some faraway city or at the corner of 208th and Union Hill Road. As much as we long to gather together again, we don't need to be in a temple or a sanctuary or on a mountaintop to experience his presence. Jesus, the King of glory, dwells with us through his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all as the waters cover the sea. This means that right now in your living room or wherever you are, you can push into God's presence, present yourself to him, bring all of yourself to him. Pray, we are yours, Lord. Help us become more aware of your presence with us. Fill us with your peace and hope and love regardless of our circumstances. In contrast to them, shine your light through us brightly and draw others to yourself for your glory and our joy. Amen. Let me close with this verse, Hebrews 4, 16. And now as we respond, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace where our King of glory is seated, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Love you, church. Miss you. See you soon.